Hello, and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from radio's golden age. We're starting the holiday season with two classic holiday favorites in half-hour versions by Screen Directors Playhouse. They both feature the same stars as the hit movie they are based on. We have Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life and Edmund Gwynn, who played Kris Kringle in Miracle on 34th Street. Screen Directors Playhouse is a treat because in addition to wonderful writing, it also features a short conversation between the director and the star. You'll get to hear the voice of director Frank Capra at the end of this episode. It's a Wonderful Life is an uplifting comedy about a man who wishes he had never been born. Screen Directors Playhouse, It's a Wonderful Life, first broadcast May 8th, 1949, on NBC, with Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra. From Hollywood, the NBC Theater presents... Screen Director's Assignment, Production, It's a Wonderful Life, Director Frank Capra, Star Jimmy Stewart... Hollywood screen directors present a flight of fancy into time that never was. It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, and introducing the director of the film, Frank Capra. motion picture audience, there can be only one measure of a truly great director. His name by itself must be a badge of excellence upon the screen. Such is the name of our guest screen director tonight, for it has become a synonym for unforgettable motion picture entertainment. The NBC Theater is proud to present the distinguished director of such brilliant films as It Happened One Night, Lost Horizon, You Can't Take It With You, and tonight's story, It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Frank Capra. Thank you. The story of It's a Wonderful Life became a motion picture by a rather roundabout way. It started out as a simple message of goodwill, a brief fantasy printed on Christmas cards to be exchanged between friends. It was a fine story, warm and human and and exciting in a very unusual way. We felt that it had something, something that perhaps could be shared by everyone. That's why we made the picture. And now tonight we hope to share it with you again as a radio play. It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart in his original role of George Bailey. Your Supreme Excellency, I, Clarence Oddbody... Angel of the second class, to make application for promotion to Angel of the first class for services as follows. On Christmas Eve of 1948, 
One George Bailey of Bedford Falls was on the point of committing suicide. An act abhorrent both to his maker and to the Hemisphere Federation Mutual Life Insurance Company. <laughs> Feeling in exceedingly woe spirits, George Bailey did go, proceed, and travel to the high level bridge where he mounted the rail. Before George Bailey could weep into the icy current, I, Clarence Oddbody, did hurl, project, and fling myself past the great Magellanic cloud through the constellation Lyra into the Earth's atmosphere and the Bedford River, executing, if I do say so myself, a perfect swan dive. Good thing this old toll house on the bridge was unlocked. Yeah, well, we can both dry off in here without freezing. Yeah. yeah. How'd you happen to fall into the river? I didn't fall in. Huh? Well, I knew if you thought I was drowning, you'd jump in to save me. So I jumped in. You jumped in? To save you. You see, you didn't go through with it. Go through with what? Suicide. How'd you know I was going to come? Hey. hey. Who are you? I'm an angel. A what? An angel. Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oh. AS2. What's the AS2? Angel Second Quest. Oh, I see. <laughs> what are you, crazy? Well, I'll confess I've been rather distracted for the past few centuries due to my failure to acquire my first class wings. But crazy? Uh-uh. If I do a good job on you, I'll get my wings. Brother, you haven't even got your buttons. Why don't you tell me your troubles? Oh, you're balmy, that's why. Well, then humor me. Do you good to talk? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's about all I have left in life. Just talk about it. Well, talk. Oh, I was going to knock him dead, I was. I was going to shake the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I was going to see the world, build things, do things. Travel, the Taj Mahal, and Silken Samarkand, and the moon pools of the East, and Everest, and the deep Aegean. Yeah. Pipe dreams. Why? Well, my deaf ear, for one thing. Oh, that was when Howie, your kid brother, fell through the ice back in 1919. I jumped in to save him. Hey, how'd you know that? I read it in the Gabriel Daily Trumpet. Well, anyway, I got an ear infection. It was weeks before I could go back running errands at the Gower Drugstore. So what does Gower do? He hits me in my bad ear. Why? Well, he just heard about his son. He died in college from typhoid. Gower had been drinking. I wouldn't deliver some medicine for Mrs. Blaine's little girl because the bottle he took it out of was marked poison. Dear, dear. Well, Doc Gower smacked my bad ear, and I guess I cried... But I finally made him understand his mistake. Um, was Doc Gower grateful? Well, he cried. Ah. Eleven years later, he bought me a fine set of pigskin luggage to take on my world trip. Oh, then you did go away. There was a girl in town named Mary. We'd grown up together, and she was engaged to Sam Wainwright. 
I had an hour or so before train time, and I stopped over at Mary's house. Well, George, just think. After all these years and all your planning and saving and wishing, you're going to realize your great ambition. This is the most exciting day of my life, Mary. I'll... We'll... We'll miss you terribly in Bedford Falls. Well, I'll only be away a year. You'll write, won't you? I'll send you a golden apple from the Garden of the East for your wedding present. Thanks. I'll make golden apple sauce out of it. What's the matter? Would I say something wrong? Hey, 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 the doorbell's ringing. I know the doorbell's ringing. Don't you sneak away, George Betty. I want to talk to you. Mary, I'm looking for George. Uncle Billy, what brings you over here to Mary's? <laughs> George, your father's just had a bad stroke. Oh, no. Dad, is he? Is no. But I don't think you'd better start on your trip, George. Not just now, anyhow. Well, go on, George. Well, Dad was gone that same night. That gave old man Potter his chance. Old man Potter? Yeah, richest man in town, a banker, a big stockholder in our loan company. We'd always fought Potter on a lot of issues, and now he wanted the loan company to dissolve so he could rule the roost in Bedford Falls. Potter and I had it out a week after Father died, right in the boardroom, alone. Now, just a minute there, Potter. Now, just hold on here, just a minute. I admit that in the 25 years since Father and Uncle Billy here started this loan company, we didn't make any money. I admit that. But who gave the low-income people in this town decent homes to live in, huh? You did? Yes, Mr. Potter, we did. Who built Bailey Park of model dwellings where you wanted to put poor cemetery? You did. That's right, we did. We gave this town those things. We gave Bedford Falls and its citizens... That's the trouble with you, Baileys. You gave everything. No wonder you never made any money. What's galling you, Potter? Mr. Potter to you, Bailey. My nephew is Mr. Bailey to you, Potter. Your nephew's wet behind the ears, you mindless fool. Say that again. Say that again. Just keep out of this, Uncle Billy. I'll handle Potter. Mr. Potter to Stripley. What's eating you is that you can't gain control of this loan company, Mr. Potter. It's up to this board to decide what to do about the company now that Father's gone, but if I can do anything to help keep Bailey Park a reality and to keep Potter from making people crawl to him when they need help, just count me in, gentlemen. Count me in. As a result of that speech, the board voted to continue the loan company. If I'd remain as vice president. Goodbye, twip around the world, huh? Yeah. yeah. At least until brother Harry came home from college to take over for me. Only Harry came home with a wife. Well, that's co-education for you. Yeah, yeah. But did his wife's father have to give Harry a big job out of town? Oh, I see. Leaving you holding the bag with the loan company. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what... What's that music? That's a church hymn. Old Hundred. Seems to me Mary sang it that day long ago. Remember? In the church choir. After church, you walked Mary home. Remember, George? Remember? Come in for a minute, George. Well, just for a minute. Here, let me take your hat and coat. 
Mary, who's that down there with you? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? Well, I don't know. What do you want, George? Me? Uh, well, not a thing. I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. Well, tell him to stop. It's Sunday. Hey, hey, now, look here, Mary. I didn't come here to... to what did to, you come here for? Well, I, I just walked you home, that's all. Lots of girls ogling you at church. Why pick on me? Well, now, listen, Mary, I... Why don't you go home? Well, I will. Thanks. Where's my hat? You've got it on. Thanks. You're entirely welcome. Goodbye. Deaf in one ear and blind in both eyes. That's you, George Bailey. Now what's the matter? You ought to see a specialist. You can't even tell when a girl... When the girl you've walked to school with all your life... Oh, go see a big eye, ear, nose, and throat man. Why, Mary. Hey. Hey, Mary. Hey, let's go and see a specialist together. Reverend McAllister, big hymn, sermon, and wedding ceremony man, huh? And so you were married, huh, George? Yeah, I had about $2,000 saved, and it looked like, well, it looked like a fine chance to combine that world trip with a honeymoon. What? A little thing called the Great Depression. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a run on the loan company started by some false rumors of potters. At the last minute, Mary threw in the $2,000. It was just enough to reassure our investors, and we didn't have to close up. And you didn't have a honeymoon, either. No, no. No, but Potter was licked again. So when he called me into his office one day, I was just about the most surprised man in Bedford Falls. Well, and I want to tell you, George Millard, that during the Depression, you and I have been about the only ones kept our heads in this town. Thanks, Mr. Potter. Yeah, all that talent, and where did it get you? 28 and 29... Married, <laughs> making $40 a week. 45 uh, And you're the smartest young fellow in town. All right, all right. Now, what's your point, Mr. Potter? I want to hire you. You you want to hire me? Manage my affairs, run my properties. 20000 a year. Dollars? And two months vacation with pay before you start work. <laughs> Take yourself a little jaunt around the world first, eh? The Vale of Kashmir and the moon pools of the east and the deep Aegean and the whispering aurora. Well, George. Well, but what about the loan company? What about it? We'll dissolve it. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want your dirty job. Huh? You sit here and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't. You're out of your mind. I won't let you buy me away from the people who depend on me. Robbie. And I've made my decision, Potter. And may it stick in your craw to regret as long as you live, George Bailey. May it stick in your fool craw. You are listening to the Hollywood Screen Director's presentation of It's a Wonderful Life, 
starring Jimmy Stewart with Arthur Q. Bryan as the angel and introducing the director of the film, Frank Capra. George, after your marriage to Mary Chase and your very spunky rejection of Potter's offer to manage his affairs, what happened? How'd it go? Oh, I stuck it out a few more years with the loan company, then the war. Doc Gower and Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And Harry, uh, my kid brother Harry, shot down two Jap suicide planes just as they were about to crash on a transport full of U.S. troops. Well, what about you? Oh, it's 4F. The bad ear? Well, it just wasn't in the books for me to get out of Bedford Falls, that's all. Well, it brings us to tonight, Christmas Eve. What made you want to jump off the bridge into the river? I can give it to you the fast. The bank examiner came to check our books, and we were $8,000 short. Next question. Where did the $8,000 go? Well, if I knew, I wouldn't be here on the bridge, would I? No, no. All I know is that I sent Uncle Billy to deposit $8,000 to our account over at Potter's Bank. Uncle Billy talked to Potter for a while in Potter's office, and then he went over to the teller's window to deposit the money, only it was gone. Well, where? How do I know where? I was almost insane. I questioned Uncle Billy half the night trying to locate that missing $8,000, but it was no use. Please, George, please don't ask me any more questions. I can't think anymore. You've got to think anymore, you stupid, fumbling fool. I've got to have that money. Do you realize what this means to us? It means bankruptcy and scandal and shame and prison. Now, one of us is going to jail for this, but it's not going to be me. I've had enough of being the fall guy for this crummy little town. You can just deal me out of this one. I've given up my years and my ambitions for the people of this town, and all I've got is frustration and disappointment. And I've had just about as much as I can swallow. It's sticking in my craw, just like Potter said it was. Well, maybe Potter would lend you $8,000. Potter? Maybe. Potter? Well, yeah, well, it's their only chance. Well, what about all your fine friends you've done so much for, George? Why don't they lend you the money, hmm? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. Now, please help me. Yeah. Well, what kind of security do you have? Any stocks? No, sir. Bonds? No, sir. Real estate collateral of any kind? Well, I've got a $15,000 life insurance policy. What's its loan value? $500. $500. Look at you. You were going out and licked the world once. What are you now? You're a miserable clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. Five hundred dollars. You're worth more dead than alive. Oh, that's very true. Uh, so you want me to help you, eh? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Arrest? Misappropriation of funds. Arrest, but Mr. Potter... Merry Christmas, George. (laughs) 
And so, because you were worth $500 a wife and $15,000 dead, you thought killing yourself would make everybody happier? Yeah, better still, I should never have been born. What's that? What's that you said? I said I wish I'd never been born. That's what I thought you said. George, they've granted your wish. And maybe I've got the scheme to win me my wings. Angel, first class. What wish? George, you've never been born. Oh, stop it, will you? You're talking like an idiot. Am I, George? Let's see. Excuse me, man. Got a match? Who are you? Come in, Doc. Come in. Got a match, anybody? Hey. Hey, you, you're Doc Gower, the druggist. I was Doc Gower, the druggist. Until I poisoned a little girl by mistake. Oh, no, now, wait a minute, Been Doc. Been drunk it's... ever since. Now, Doc, don't you remember? I discovered your mistake, and I warned you just in time. To... Oh, you. Well, don't you remember me? I'm little George Bailey. I ran errands for you. Uh, nobody named George Bailey ever worked for me. Match? Here you are, Mr. Gower. Hmm. Now, all I need is a cigar. Here you are, Mr. Gower. Of life. God rest you, merry gentlemen. My nephew is... Wait, no, Doc. Let him go, George. Let him go. That... That broken old derelict, Doc Gower. Well, you weren't born, George, so you couldn't prevent that broken old derelict. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, I... Hey, I'm going home. Home? What home? You never lived. Oh, shut up now. Cut it out. You're crazy. Let's see if I am. We'll go to your home. Ride the bleak wind, George Bailey. Let's see where you live. Let's see. I tell you, this boarding house can't be my mother's house. Knock again. Oh, this broken-down old shack, my mother's house? Knock again, George Bailey. All right, but I... But... There's no vacancy. Mother. What are you talking about? Mother, mother, please help me. There's something terrible's happened to me. I don't, just keep me here until I get over it, please. I never saw you before in my life. Don't take in strangers unless somebody I know sent them. Uncle Billy sent me your brother. You knew him. Well, of course I know him. I, I saw him just today. That's a lie. He died in the insane asylum after old man Potter took over the loan company. Why do you lie to me? Mother, mother, please. Good night. Mother. mother. Come on, George. We've other places to go. Why are we in the public library on Christmas Eve? Some people work late if they're lonely and have no Christmas to go home to. Like that pinched-looking woman at that desk there. Mary. Yes? Mary. The library's closed, you know. Mary, you're my wife. You must be quite out of your senses. Now, look at me. Look at me, Mary. I'm George. I'm your husband. We're married. I never married. Man I'd marry never was born, if you must know. I hate them. Mary, now look at me. I'm George Bailey. You're Mrs. George Bailey. I'll call the police. Mary, you must listen to me. Hello. Please, 
Hello. Harry, listen to me. Give me the police and hurry. It's very dark on this road. Yes. I'm cold. Stop here. Where are we? Potter's Field. You mean Bailey Park. I mean the poor cemetery. You mean my low-cost home development. Look where you stand. Gravestones. Here dwell in final squalor and humility the nameless, the vagrant, the very poor, the disinherited. You put them here. I tell you, no, I built Bailey Park on this ground. Read that tilting gravestone at your feet. Read. In memory of our beloved son, Harry Bailey, 1911-1919. This isn't true. Harry's alive today. He went to war. He shot down two planes that saved the lives of every man on that transport. Your brother Harry broke through the ice at the age of nine. It's a lie. He saved the life of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. No. You killed those men on that troop ship. You wished it so. I didn't. You. Please. You. No. Yes. Harry wasn't there to save those men because you weren't there to save Harry. You wished it so. Yes. Forgive me, Clarence. You see, George, you'd have lived a pretty wonderful life if you'd only been born a strong and useful life. I know now. I know that no man is an island unto himself. I know now that our lives are woven inseparably one to another. I know that life bestowed by the Almighty is for no man to reject. Then my work is done. Wait, Clarence. Help me. Help me get back. I want to live again. I'm glad I was born. I want to live again. When you hear the musical chimes, I will have won my wings. Guardian angel, first class. Send me back, Clarence. Send me back to life again. Live George Bailey. Send me back. Live. Thank you, God. Live. Thank you. Live. George. Live. George. Uh, what? Oh, Mary. Oh, George, darling. Mary, how'd you know I was here? Oh, I was so afraid for you. I, I thought of the bridge, too. I'm sorry, Mary. Oh, please come home. We've been looking for you. Looking for who? The whole town. Everyone in Bedford Falls that you ever helped. And that's everybody. I know, but there's $8,000 missing from the loan company. They know that. And they've taken up a collection to help you for all you've done for them. There's more than $8,000 under the Christmas tree. No. Cash, money, orders, and checks. No. Yes. Well, hallelujah. Merry Christmas, George. Hey. Hey, Mary. Hey, listen. I didn't hear anything. When when you hear the musical chimes. What chimes? Had a boy, Clarence. Had a boy.
guests will return in just a moment. Next week, the NBC Theater brings you another outstanding motion picture story to the microphone as we present the romantic drama, Hold Back the Dawn, and our star will be Charles Boyer. And now, here again is tonight's star, Jimmy Stewart, and screen director, Frank Capra. Say, uh, Frank, do you mind if I ask you a professional question? Not at all, Jimmy. Uh, how do you how do you turn out so many wonderful pictures? What's what's the secret anyway? You really want to know? Yeah, I really do. Clarence. Huh? Clarence, the angel. What do you <laughs> What do you mean the character in the story? Oh, sure, he's been around for years. Stands behind my right shoulder and tells me what to do when I'm in trouble. He practically directs all my pictures. Uh-huh. Uh, Clarence, huh? On a movie set. Yeah, well, it was a little difficult at first. Yeah, I can imagine. He didn't have a screen director's guild card. Oh. <laughs> well, tell me, Frank, uh, if Clarence was so smart, how come we had to shoot the last scene of It's a Wonderful Life five times? Oh, that. Well, you see, Jimmy, yeah. that... Uh... Hey, Kappa, better quit while you're even. Say goodnight. Let's get out of here. Okay, Clarence. <laughs> see how he keeps me out of trouble? Good night, everyone. Good night, folks. And good night to you, Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capitol. It's a Wonderful Life is presented to the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, whose current release is Bride of Vengeance, starring Paulette Goddard, John Lund, and MacDonald Carey. Jimmy Stewart can currently be seen in the Metro-Golden-Mayer production, The Stratton Story. Frank Capra is currently producing and directing the Paramount picture Riding High, starring Bing Crosby. Included in tonight's cast were Arthur Q. Bryan, Joseph Granby, Hans Conried, Irene Tedrow, Georgia Backus, Herb Butterfield, and Barbara Eiler. It's a Wonderful Life was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger, and original music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. Production was under the supervision of Howard Wiley, associate producer Bill Karn. Your announcer has been Frank Barton. Listen again next week when the NBC Theater presents... Screen Director's Assignment, Production, Hold Back the Dawn... Director, Mitchell Lyson. Star, Charles Boyer. The NBC Theater came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. I hope you enjoyed that very short version of the holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life. You are listening to the Old Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web with your host, Justine Ward. Next, we have another favorite, Miracle on 34th Street, starring Edmund Gwynn as Chris Kringle. Director George Seaton is featured at the end of the show. Edmund Gwynn was a character actor who appeared in more than 80 films but this is the role he is best remembered for. He won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in this movie. Enjoy Screen Director's Playhouse, Miracle on 34th Street, first broadcast December 23, 1949, on NBC, with Edmund Gwynn and George Seaton. From Hollywood, the Screen Director's Playhouse. Screen Director's Playhouse, star Edmund Gwen, production Miracle on 34th Street, 
Director George Seaton. The Hollywood screen directors present a Christmas party. For the 500 special girls and boys gathered here in NBC's Hollywood studios, and for children of all ages everywhere, we present the motion picture Christmas story, Miracle on 34th Street, starring Edmund Gwen in his original Academy Award-winning role of Chris Kringle. Hmm. You don't believe in Santa Claus? Well, why not? Santa Claus believes in you. The jaunty, portly little man with the white whiskers swung his cane as he walked in the brisk November morning. He walked into a department store famous across the nation, Macy's 34th Street, New York, crowded amiably into the elevator and got out at the employment office. It seems a Mrs. Doris Walker was the lady to see up there. Mrs. Walker. Mrs. Walker? Uh, yes? You'll be needing a Santa Claus for your toy department this Christmas. I wish to apply for the position. Well, we do need a Santa Claus if you're qualified. Oh, I'm eminently qualified. Do you like children? Who doesn't? Do you have any children? Millions of them. Well, I must certainly say you look like Santa Claus. Well, I certainly should look like Santa Claus. You won't even need padding. Oh, no, I carry my own... Now, you understand that Macy's has a line of toys that you may recommend with complete confidence. I assume that I'm hired? Yes. Can you start tomorrow morning, Mr... Uh, Mr... Kringle. What? Kringle. I'm Chris Kringle. And the new Santa Claus was positively the most sensational Santa Claus who had ever held court on Macy's seventh floor. He was the real article, all right. He had that deep down, genuine crisp, Chris Kringle crinkle in his eyes. And if he told you anything, you could depend on it. Electric trains? Why, yes, Peter. Yes, madam, right over that way. Realistic models of the chief and super chief. Now, what about you, little girl? Huh? Oh, yes, madam. We have wonderful skates here, but not quite what your little boy seems to want. Now, I'd suggest you go across the street to Gimbel's. Gimbel's? Oh, yes. I keep track of the toy market pretty closely. What, does that surprise you, Sue? Macy's sending me to another store. Well, the only important thing is to make the children happy, isn't it? Huh? And whether Macy's or somebody else sells the toy doesn't make any difference. Well, it's wonderful. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Well, you can get it at the Acme Toy Company. Only $8.50, plus tax. And so it went. And so the customers went. <laughs> to other stores that Macy's didn't have. The grown-ups began to believe in Santa Claus as much as the children. All except one small child named Susan Walker, who finally came to Kris Kringle. A skeptical look on her small face and a prodding young man at her back. Well, young lady, and what would you like for Christmas? Ah. Uh... Well, go ahead, Susan. Tell Santa what you'd like. 
What's your name, little girl? Susan Walker, and I don't believe in Santa Claus. Oh. My mother happens to be Mrs. Walker, the lady who hired you. Well, your daddy here believes I'm Santa Claus, I'll bet. He's not my daddy. My father and mother are divorced. This is Mr. Gailey, who lives in the apartment next to ours. I see. He's a lawyer at law. Uh, attorney at law, Susan. He pretends he brought me to see you, but he really came to visit mother. Oh. Really? Oh, brother. I must say you're the best-looking Santa Claus mother ever hired. Oh, thank you. Your whiskers aren't loose at the sides. Well, that's because they're real, just like I'm really a Santa Claus. Oh, now stop. Now go ahead. Come on, pull them. Pull them? Go ahead. Uh, all right. Oh, ouch. Well, they're on pretty tight, all right. Now, now what would you like me to bring you for Christmas? Susan. There's mother now. I'm dead. Susan, Mr. Gailey, I told you not to bring Susan down here. But your maid is out sick, and, and Susan was alone Mr. at Mr. Gailey, home, I... I am bringing Susan up to face reality. Well, in reality, he came to see you, Mrs. Walker. Oh, really? I... Uh, Mr. Gailey, uh, will you step this way, please? Yes, ma'am. What's your name? Chris Kringle. That's your trade name. I mean your real name. We can talk here, Fred. Now, Doris... I keep telling Susan that Santa Claus is a myth, and you bring her down here to see thousands of children like herself worshipping a very convincing old man with real whiskers. What's she to think? What's she to believe? Whatever makes her happy. Well, I don't want my child growing up to consider life a fairy tale instead of reality. They keep waiting for a Prince Charming to come along, and when he does, he, he turns out to be someone they that they... Someone they'll have to divorce? We were talking about Susan... Oh. In fact, I'm going to have to talk to that Santa Claus about Susan before he goes to lunch. Yes, Mrs. Walker? Uh, the reason I called you into my office was to have you tell Susan here that you're not Santa Claus. Yeah, but I am Santa Claus. See, Mother, a girl doesn't know what to think these days. I want you to tell her the truth. Now, what's your name? Chris Kringle. See? I mean your real name. Well, that is my real name. Now, see here, I... Excuse me a moment. Yes, Mrs. Walker. Miss Thomas, will you get out an employment card filled out by a Mr. Chris Kringle, if there is one? I'll wait. I'll bet you're in the first grade, Susan. Second. Second? I'm very advanced. Oh. oh. Here it is, Mrs. Walker. Mr. Chris Kringle. No. Yeah. Chris Kringle, residence, Brooks Memorial Home for the Aged. Age as old as my tongue and a little older than my teeth. <laughs> oh, no. Do you know what I think? Yes, the same thing I think. I think he's nuts. That's what I think. He really believes he's Santa Claus. With bells on. Well, you better get rid of him. He might be dangerous. Thank you, Miss Thomas. I agree. Uh, uh Mr. Kringle... I'm sorry, but we're going to have to make a change. Have I done something wrong? Well, no, uh, that is not wrong, but... Oh, excuse me. Uh, yes? Mr. Macy's on the phone. Oh, put him on. Mrs. Walker. Uh, yes, Mr. Macy? I've just heard about your new Santa Claus. Oh, yes, Mr. Macy. I was just going into that, Mr. Macy. The I... idea, the very idea of his telling people that if Macy's doesn't have it, to go to Gimbel's. Well, I have him right... Gimbel's? Directly across the street. Imagine... Macy's Santa Claus sending customers to Gimbel's. Wonderful. Huh? The public response is wonderful. 
We're getting to be known as the helpful store, the friendly store, the store that places public service ahead of profits, and consequently, we'll make more profit than ever. Uh, yes, sir. Great idea, Mrs. Walker. Great work. Keep it up. Uh, yes, Mr. Macy. And above all, keep that Santa Claus. Keep him? But he's... Well, he, he's... He's great. But, Mr. Macy, I don't... Goodbye, Mrs. Walker. Uh, Mr. Macy? Mr. Kringle. Yes? Mr. Macy suggests that we try you out a little longer. Well, that's mighty good news, Mrs. Walker. You see, this is quite an opportunity for me. Yes, for the last 50 years or so, I've been getting more and more worried about Christmas. Seems we're all so busy trying to beat the other fellow in making things go faster and look shinier and cost less. But Christmas and I are sort of getting lost in the shuffle. Christmas is still Christmas. Oh, but it isn't just a day. It's a frame of mind. And that's what's been changing. That's why I'm glad I'm here. Maybe I can do something about it. Oh, I'm glad I met you and your daughter. <laughs> Thank you. You two are a kind of test case for me. What's a test case? Well, if I can make you and your mother believe oh, in me... Oh, speaking of tests, Mr. Kringle, would you kindly report to Mr. Sawyer's office the first thing tomorrow morning? Mr. Sawyer? Yes, he'll give you an examination. A mental examination? Oh, it's just routine. All of our employees are required to take an examination. Oh, I don't mind. I, <laughs> I've taken dozens of examinations. Never failed one yet. I'll see Mr. Sawyer first thing in the morning. Thank you. Goodbye, Mrs. Walker. Bye, Susan. Goodbye, Mr. Kringle. Oh, oh excuse me, Chris. I was just leaving. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, hello, Doris. How are you, Susan? I'm fine. Mother's got problems. Fred, I'm worried about Mr. Kringle. Worried? Why? Well, I think he's mentally unsound. I think he's a fantastic, delightful, and unselfish human being. And if being delightful, unselfish, and human is bad, what's good? Well, Mr. Macy likes him, so I have to keep him. But not if he's insane. Oh, nonsense. Well, he thinks he's Santa Claus. Well, maybe he is. Well, suppose he gets worse. Suppose he gets violent. Chris! Nevertheless, I'm having Mr. Sawyer question him tomorrow. Only, how can I be sure that Kringle will even show up tomorrow? It's easy. I'll take him home with me tonight and bring him to work in the morning. Oh, would you? All you have to do is to marry me. Fred. When I can afford it. Do it, Mother. Susan. Well, then at least have me in to dinner tonight uh, with Mr. Chris Kringle, my house guest of honor. Well, that evening, Chris Kringle went home with Fred Gailey. And after dinner in Doris Walker's <coughs> apartment next door, Chris left Fred and Doris to discuss child psychology or uh, something and stole quietly into Susan's bedroom. Susan, sophisticated child, was in bed, blowing bubblegum bubbles. Oh, that was a big one. Susan, why don't you give me a chance to prove to you that I'm really Santa Claus? There is no Santa Claus. Oh, now there must be something you want for Christmas. Mother will get me whatever, anything I want. Oh, but there must be something she can't get you. Well... <laughs> there is something. I... I'd like a house. What, you mean a doll's house? No, a real house. To live in. A real house? If you're really Santa Claus, you can get it for me. If you can't, you're only a nice man with a white beard, like Mother says. Oh, but you've got this lovely apartment to live in. I want a backyard to play in, and grass, and a white picket fence and rose bushes. But Mother can't afford it, and... 
I guess you can't get it, huh? No, no, I, I didn't say that, you know. I, uh, I... Well, I've got to see Mr. Sawyer first thing in the morning. I'll get right to work on it after that, Susan, tomorrow. Now, tell me, Kringle, how many days in the week? Seven. Who was the first president of the United States? George Washington. Uh, how much is uh, three times five? Well, you asked me that before. Uh, did you... I'm conducting this examination. How much is three times five? Well, same as it was before, 15. <laughs> you're... You're rather nervous, Mr. Sawyer, aren't you? Do you uh, get enough sleep? Uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> how many fingers am I holding up? Three. Oh... Oh, you bite your nails, too. Frankel. <laughs> you know, sometimes nervous habits like yours are a result of insecurity. I, I didn't ask you. Oh, I just want to be helpful. I didn't ask for help, you fuzzy old crackpot. <laughs> Mr. Sawyer, that's hardly the proper way to conduct a mental examination. Oh, you... I'm wasting my time on a hopeless case. Get out. Mr. Sawyer. I said get out. Mr. Sawyer. I have great respect for psychiatry and great contempt for impostors and quacks. Yes, he... I beg your pardon. I should like to see your degree in medicine. Get out. Also proof of your specialization in psychiatry. Get out. Get out. Now, either you stop. Either you stop analyzing people, or I'm going to tell Mr. Macy what a contemptible, vicious, malicious fraud you really are. I, I, I'll have you committed to an insane asylum. Well, you're the one who needs treatment. You, you lunatic, are you saying I'm crazy? Now put down that inkwell. Uh, Put down that cane. Put down that inkwell. Uh, you go first. I'd better. You're dangerous. I, you. Uh, when he recovered, Mr. Sawyer jingled Bellevue. And that is how Santa Claus, alias Chris Kringle, found himself that very morning in the violent ward at Bellevue Hospital. You are listening to the Screen Director's Playhouse presentation of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Edmund Gwen in his original Academy Award-winning role of Chris Kringle. Late that afternoon, Fred Gailey, attorney at law, came to visit Chris Kringle in the violent ward at Bellevue Hospital. All right now, Chris, why did you do it? Why did I conk Mr. Sawyer? Why did you fail your examination by the doctors here at Bellevue? You did it deliberately. I did. I said the first president of the United States was Calvin Coolidge. But why? Well, Fred, the last few days, I had a feeling people were warming up towards each other. Macy's sending customers to Gimbel's. Gimbel's sending customers to Macy's. Gimbel and Macy shaking hands. Vizinski saying yes. People were beginning to make some sense. Even if Doris did doubt me. Doris hasn't believed in anything for years. Ever since her marriage went oh, it wasn't it. just Doris. It was Sawyer. Now, he's contemptible, dishonest, selfish, vicious. Yet he's out there and I'm in here. He's called normal. I'm not. And we've got a world full of Mr. Sawyer's. And if that's normal, I don't want it, Fred. That's why I answered those questions incorrectly. But, Chris, what happens to a lot of people, like me... Who do believe in you and what you stand for? What happens to people like, like little Susan, just beginning to believe? Susan? Are you going to let her down? People like that? 
Well, I... I hadn't thought of that, Fred. Are you going to quit right in the middle of your job? Gee, you're right, Fred. I'm ashamed of myself. Let's get out of here. Uh, not so fast, Chris. Getting in here was easy. Getting you out will be a lot harder. Oh, not for you. You're a fine lawyer. Perhaps, but... But what? You've been ordered committed to a mental institution. Oh, I see. However, I've requested a formal hearing, and it's been granted. But the issue being, do I jingle the bells or do the bets run the belfry? Mr. Chris Kringle, will you please take the stand? Delighted to do so, Mr. Prosecutor. Uh, Mr. Kringle? Your Honor? This is merely a hearing. You do not have to answer the questions or even testify at all. We have no objections, Your Honor. Well, I'll be glad to answer any questions I can. You may question the witness, Mr. Prosecutor. Thank you, Your Honor. Tell us, sir... What is your true name? Chris Kringle. And uh, where do you live? Well, that's what this hearing will decide. (laughs) Mr. Kringle, do you believe that you are Santa Claus? Of course. Uh, Perhaps perhaps the witness doesn't understand the question. I understood the question perfectly, Your Honor. In which case, Your Honor, the state rests. In uh, view of the defendant's statement, does counsel for the defendant wish to put in a defense? Your Honor, the entire case against my client boils down to this. The prosecution contends that Mr. Kringle is not sane because he believes himself to be Santa Claus. That is true. But if Mr. Kringle were the person he believes himself to be, he would be as sane as we are. Correct. I intend to prove that Mr. Kringle is not insane because he is Santa Claus. Fred, let's be sensible. You can't possibly prove that poor old man is Santa Claus. Why can't I? And he's not a poor old man. Logic, Fred, not faith and hope wins out in court. That's just common sense. And I guess in these last few years, you've developed too much common sense. Well, one of us has to have it, Fred. And both of us have to have faith, Doris. Or we're wrong for each other. I... I see. Even when I can afford it, we're wrong for each other. Well, I'm going to pray for Santa Claus. Mr. Kringle, dear. Santa Claus. I mailed your letter to Santa, Susan. Thank you very much. Special delivery. He'll get it tomorrow. And now, Mr. Macy, I will turn the questioning over to a person you know. A person in whom I have the deepest confidence and belief. 
my client and your employee, Mr. Chris Kringle. But I don't know what to say. Say it anyhow, Chris. Come on. Well, they say that the man who pleads his own case has a fool for a client. But, but I won't let down anybody who believes in me. You're a witness, Chris. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I... I don't know what to ask you, Mr. Mayley. Just ask me anything. Well, how are things at the store? Pretty good, Chris. Sorry I can't be with you. <laughs> so are we. Mm. Your substitute Santa doing all right? Oh, he's just another Santa Claus. Oh, no, no, Mr. Macy, you mustn't say that. He isn't just another Santa Claus any more than this Christmas is just another Christmas. It's the same Christmas, timeless and unchanging, with the same deeper meaning it always has. Same summons to all men to have faith, not in any one faith, but to have faith in themselves, in mankind, in each other. Because if all the earth be laid in ruins and all our yesterdays and all man's wonders become smoke and ashes, and man remains, well, then everything remains. For all we have on earth that matters is each other. And that's what Christmas is. A time for unselfishness, a time for each other, for goodwill and understanding and deep respect for all our fellow men. Your Honor, Oh, very well. Christmas isn't just once a year. Christmas is always flowering, let's say, in, in late December. And your new Santa Claus isn't just another Santa Claus, Mr. Macy. To the purest minds and the most immaculate souls among us, I mean the little children, he is Santa Claus. Because they believe he is. And that's... That's good enough for me, Mr. Macy. That's good enough for me. It's good enough for me, too, Chris. Mr. Macy, do you believe I'm Santa Claus? I certainly do. Thank you, Mr. Macy. You're a witness, Mr. Prosecutor. Your Honor, this is all very charming, but I must ask the court to demand that Mr. Gailey present competent authority. Competent authority, I say, for the contention that his client is Santa Claus. Have you such authority, Mr. Gailey? Not at this time, Your Honor. Uh, will that be all, Fred? Yes, Chris, for now. Uh, before you go, Mr. Kringle... The bailiff handed me this letter in care of this courthouse. It would appear to be for you. It's addressed to Santa Claus. Uh -huh. <laughs> the bailiff also informs me that the dead letter office of the post office department has forwarded some other mail addressed simply Santa Claus. Well, that's very kind of them. Your Honor, Your Honor, where are those other letters? I request that they be entered in evidence. I'm afraid that would be awkward, Mr. Gailey. What do you mean awkward, Your Honor? There are nine truckloads of those letters. Your Honor. Your Honor, counsel for the state has asked for authoritative testimony that my client is Santa Claus. The U.S. postal laws make it a criminal offense to misdirect mail 
or intentionally to, to deliver it to the wrong party. The Postal Department itself, therefore, recognizes this man, Chris Kringle, as Santa Claus. Order! Order! order. Objection! Order! Objection! Order, I say. I say order. In view of such overwhelming testimony, case dismissed. cold when Fred and Chris Kringle got out on the courthouse steps. It looked and felt like a white Christmas. Like a good Christmas. Same as always. What was in that letter anyhow, Chris? Letter? Oh, clean forgot to open it. I better, though. It's from Susan. I suspected it was. Dear Chris... Signed. Susan. P.S. P.S. I believe in you too. And in your legal counsel. Signed. Doris. You know, Chris, it was Susan's belief and faith that made her write you that letter. It was her letter that gave the post office the idea of forwarding all those dead letters to you. little child shall lead them. She's a sweet little girl. I wish... You know, Fred, there's a little Cape Cod cottage for sale out near the old people's home. Be just right for three people. I can't afford anything right now. Mm. Well, looking at that house a few days ago, I said to myself, Chris, one good case to bring him fame, and Fred Gailey could buy that little cottage... And make a little girl extremely happy. Chris. And then Susan would know I'm Santa Claus. Chris Kringle, did you hit Mr. Sawyer on the head to, to bring all this into court? I don't know what you're talking about. Chris. Chris, answer me straight. Hmm? Who are you? Me? I'm Chris Kringle. Chris Kringle will return in just a moment. Next week, another great star brings one of his most brilliant performances to the Screen Director's Playhouse. Our story is One Way Passage, and recreating his original role will be William Powell with Screen Director Tay Garnett. Now, returning to our Screen Director's Christmas party, here is tonight's star, Edmund Gwen. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think the 500 children in our Christmas party audience tonight are much more expert at this business of make-believe than we grown-ups. So many of us lose the magnificent gift of imagination. But when it does continue beyond childhood, we call it talent. Now, I would like you to meet the man to whom I owe so much, writer-director of Miracle on 34th Street and of such other films as Apartment for Peggy and the, and the soon-to-be-released Two Corridors East. My author-director, George Seaton. Thanks, Edmund. You know, watching these youngsters enjoy your performance tonight 
I realized more than ever how an idea can grow into something real. Well, you mean your idea for the miracle story, George? No, no, no. That wasn't mine. The original story and the novel were written by Valentine Davies. But I had the pleasure of following it through as a screenplay, a motion picture, and tonight as a radio play. And if the story managed to bring a little more Christmas into the lives of these wonderful kids, then Miracle on 34th Street has worked a small miracle of its own. Well, then tonight, George, as the creator of the picture, you are really playing the part of Chris Kringle. Oh, no, no, no. I'm still the director. And, Edmund, you're still Chris Kringle. Mm. And it's time you went to work. There are a lot of presents here on the stage and a lot of deserving youngsters to receive them. Mr. Director, I never had a happier assignment. A very Merry Christmas. And a Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, George. Thank you. And a Merry Christmas to you, Edmund Glenn and George Seaton. Our thanks to R.H. Macy Department Stores for their gift of 500 Christmas stockings for our little guests. The publishing firm of Simon & Schuster for its gift of 500 children's books and at the country store of Beverly Hills Candies for its presentations to the children. Remember next week, One Way Passage with William Powell and Tay Garnett on Screen Director's Playhouse. Miracle on 34th Street was presented through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox, currently releasing the Daryl F. Zanuck production, 12 O'Clock High, starring Gregory Peck and Prince of Foxes, starring Tyrone Power. Edmund Gwen appeared by arrangement with Metro-Golden-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor musical On the Town, starring Gene Kelly, Frank Sinatra, and Betty Garrett. This is Jimmy Wallington speaking and inviting you to listen again next week when we present... Star William Powell... Production One Way Passage, Director Tay Garnett. Next, it's Bill Stern and the Sports Newsreel on NBC. You have been listening to the Old Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through iTunes, Podbean, or RSS. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of holiday entertainment from the Golden Age of Radio. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying, So long for a while.